This is Beat the Closing Line. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Beat the Closing Line. I am your host, Nicole Russo, alongside NFL analyst for thelines.com, Eli Hershkovich. As you know, every Thursday, we have a special guest on to talk sports betting and give us their unique perspective on how the season is going. And today we are chatting with Chris Bennett, the director of risk at Circus Sports. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We are super excited to have you on. And before we get through today's slate of questions, just make sure to give this video a thumbs up, a like, and subscribe so you know every time we post a new video. And if you are listening to us where you get your podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts, make sure to subscribe to Beat the Closing Lines pod and give us a five-star review for your chance to win an Amazon gift card. Without further ado, Eli, I'm going to let you take it away with the first question. Yeah, Chris, everybody has that interesting story that got them into sports betting in the first place. So for the people that don't follow you on Twitter at BetChris, I don't know if you ever shared it before, but what's kind of your been your path to get into this industry? Well, I went to college and I started out as a chemistry major because that was my favorite subject in high school. And at some point, I realized I was not going to be a chemist. I did not particularly <laughs> enjoy the uh, many hours in the lab and then going home and writing up reports. Uh, but what I did like was math. And that was like the first thing that probably you know, started me on this road. Um, ended up getting a double major in chemistry and math. But I didn't have a career plan. Like I didn't have a job lined up out of college. I had just worked, you know, odd jobs in high school and in the summers uh, during college. But I knew what I liked and it was math and it was I've always liked sports. I it was a big fan of the, the Minnesota teams growing up and I wanted to do something where I could combine uh, my love of both math and sports and having experience just playing, you know, fantasy sports there is this game on ESPN.com where it's basically daily fantasy baseball that I played for a few summers. I had so much fun like building my lineup every day. Uh, liked it more than regular fantasy sports where you're stuck with a player for a whole year, typically. I could change out my players every single day. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? After I graduated college, I was kind of tired of school had no plans for like a master's degree, uh, at least imminently. And I just thought to myself, like, if I want to do something involving these two things, it's, it's in sports betting. And all I know about sports betting is if you're like involved in that industry in the United States, like you probably need to be in Nevada because I knew they had, you know, special privileges when it came to uh, offering uh, sports betting. And without ever actually having been to Las Vegas, I just packed up all my things and moved out here. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> and that's what I did. I just went immediately applying for jobs, just the entry level sportsbook jobs. Like, I didn't know really where to go. I didn't know anybody in the industry, no one in my family that had a like similar career or job and ended up uh, getting a job at, at what the time was called the Hilton. It's now uh, called the Westgate. And, you know, had some good fortune because I ended up starting out at a place that had some really sharp people there that were the uh, bookmakers and oddsmakers. And I was able to learn a lot from them and 
you know, move my way up and, you know, get promoted and, you know, have the access and, and privileges to, you know, book games and hang lines and really just learn all of the fun stuff that's involved with this industry. So that's how it all got started. Um, a lot of luck and a lot of like randomness, I would say, but very happy with where it's led me. Another science major here that decided uh, she did not want to be in a lab and also randomly ended up in sports betting, except for I'm not good at math. So I am on the content side of things and I'm not doing exactly what you're doing. Um, speaking of what you're doing, um, why don't you tell our audience what exactly does your role as the director of risk entail? So director of risk is, you know, almost entirely a back of house uh, job role. I'm rarely interacting, you know, with customers out, you know, in the actual sports book. Uh, you typically won't see me. Uh, people assume that I have an office at Circa because that's where, you know, our you know, big sports book destination is located. I actually work out of an office in the Golden Gate Casino, which is a very small uh, casino just across the street from Circa in downtown Las Vegas. And what I'm, you know, doing at a very top level is, you know, trying to organize the team of people we have. And it's, it's about 15 to 20 of us that are in this office space here, all kind of, you know, working together where, yes, we're doing a lot of things with uh, text messaging and emails and phone calls, but it's really beneficial to have your group of, you know, risk managers all in the same room. So, you know, it, it varies based on, you know, what time of year it is. Right now, it's November, and we've got more sports going on than any other time of the year. So I've got to come up with, like, a schedule for our team so that we can cover everything that we're booking. And that's a really important consideration. Like, you're not going to do a very good job as a bookmaker if you don't have – you're not setting people up to succeed with the workload that they're, you're giving them and – you know, how much uh, effort and energy it takes to manage whatever, you know, sports or, or part of the board that they're responsible for on a given day. So I'm, you know, kind of overseeing that. I'm trying to structure it as well as I can. And I'm also working alongside our director, Matt Metcalf, because he's very hands-on and involved with, you know, risk management and, you know, setting limits and making decisions on, what our menu is going to look like, which is another really important consideration is deciding like, well, we're not going to be able to offer every market. Like that's not what Circus Sports does. Uh, something that we offer, we're going to take pride in having very fair pricing on that market and very fair limits. And we're not currently in a place where we can have the best pricing the best limits and the largest menu. And I would argue there isn't any sportsbook entity currently that's in that position. Uh, so that, you know, on the top level is, are some of the really important considerations that we have just that are constant with what we're doing. As far as, you know, dialing into, you know, specific sports and, and specialization, um, my number one sport is baseball. Like I try to own that, uh, as much as possible throughout the course of the year where like I'm setting and adjusting the World Series odds. 
and odds for teams to make to win their division. And on many days during the season, I'm the one you know booking all the games that are on the board. Uh, I particularly enjoy like the exhibition games before the season starts. I enjoy the uh, the very last day of the baseball regular season. Those are some of my favorite things to be doing when it comes to, to bookmaking and odds making. I also do a lot with the NFL. Um, I do our Super Bowl odds, division odds, MVP, coach of the year, like all of that futures and awards market type stuff. And then as much as possible, like I want the other members of our team to like own their, their sport or their sports and to have as much specialization as possible. And like for one example, college football, you know, one thing we do throughout the course of the year is we hang the following week's lines on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Typically before anybody else has numbers on the games for the following week. I have very little involvement with that. I'm happy to have other members of the team really own that. Like you guys make the numbers. You guys put this up. You guys book it during the week. And you know, I hope we do really well, but that's not something I feel the need to have ownership of. I, I love to see other people like step up and say, yeah, I, I want to be the guy who is either, you know, booking the games or doing the futures, all that stuff, which then frees me up to, you know, do the best that I can with the baseball and the NFL futures and just other kind of administrative things that come along with the role of director of risk, because there's a lot of stuff that you would find in any office job like that we just have to be dealing with on a, a daily basis in a sports book. Um, and it's not always just all fun, you know, bookmaking, odds making stuff. Yeah, no, it's a good point, Chris, because everybody in the content space, just in comparison, wants to cap every single sport. But at some point, you kind of have to make the distinction for yourself of, okay, I'm going to focus on this because this is where I have the biggest edge, whether it's the NFL, which is such a sharp betting market, or college football, college basketball, whatever it may be. And it's the same thing, it appears, on the other side of the counter, too. And speaking of on the other side of the counter, one of your coworkers, Jeff Benson, has made himself pretty famous in the Twitter space in terms of explaining <laughs> how Circa seems to take more sharp action than other retail books. And you think about how Circa and what you guys offer in terms of higher limits. How do you guys, or how do you in particular, balance sharp action versus your own opinion on a market when moving a line? You definitely have to find that balance. And like you just have to know what you're good at, number one, as a bookmaker and odds maker. And one way that, you know, people will, you know, gain that level of confidence over time is by betting for themselves. Like that will tell you if you're good or not. Like if you're making bets and you're tracking your plays and you're seeing, you know, are you winning over a large sample or not? And if you are, that should give you more confidence that like, you know what the numbers should be. You know what you're doing when it comes to, um, you know, bookmaking. And I think that's an area where, you know, Matt and myself in particular, you know, have had a lot of experience betting and that has told us like if we know what we're talking about if we know that we're good or not 
in a given sport. And so once you get to that like level of confidence of like, okay, you know, I'm not always going to get the information first. And that's a lot of what this business is. Like somebody gets valuable information first and the market doesn't have that information. And so there's a good bet to be made. But outside of that, like if we're all getting the information at the same time, or we all have the same information at our fingertips, then yeah, like there's guys on this side of the counter booking that know pretty much just as well as the people betting. And so if you like know yourself well enough, you've got enough experience, then you can be making like those decisions to either, you know, move a number because you have an opinion on something or maybe not move a number off of a bet as much as you otherwise would because you're very confident in the number you're offering and what your overall liability position is. When it comes to your winning players, why does circuit choose not to limit them? And do you think that other sports books are going to start to follow suit? Uh, I think there's a couple of main reasons for, you know, how we try to be fair to, you know, all uh, betters, regardless of skill level. Um, on the one hand, like you're getting information when you're taking a bet. And if somebody sharp is telling you that like there's a number that's value out there, then what we should be doing in response is moving our number and getting to a point where it's no longer value on either side. And, you know, simplest example are our point spreads in football and basketball, get it to a number where if someone's laying minus 110 on either side, like neither one of them is a good bet. And so if you, you know, just kick out all the people you consider sharp or you make their limits extremely low so that you have effectively kicked them out, well, then you're not going to be getting that information in a direct manner. And it's just going to make it more challenging for you to figure out um, what is sharp and what's not because, you know, people are going to utilize other people to make bets for them. Like we can't prove when that's happening. We don't know with absolute certainty, but that's a pretty like simple uh scenario to envision if someone gets kicked out of a sports book that they have a friend or relative get an account or, or something like that so you're <laughs> kind of making life more difficult for yourself at some point if you're that aggressive in kicking people out and uh or and or limiting them to like very small bet amounts um i think another important component to this is like we want to have a good reputation. And so there are sharp bettors out there that know other people that might just be betting for fun, not really going all out to try to like make a living at it. And we want those people to have a good opinion of us and we want them to bet at Circa as well. So we want like the reputation to be Circa is extremely fair. They treat everybody well uh, and this industry has a history of, you know, treating sharp players kind of as criminals or pests. And, you know, that's not a good feeling. And that's only going to lead to, you know, those people that are getting treated that way, telling their friends and family that, yeah, the sports book sucks. They treat me like crap. Like, 
um, if they have a good number, I'm going to, you know, go to their kiosk and try to bet it a thousand times um, w- without, you know, getting caught or whatever. And it's like, that's not what we want the relationship to be. Like we want it to be cordial and friendly and like, yeah, I know everyone betting, like they're trying to win and I'm the bookie and I'm trying to win. And so, yeah, it's, it's on some level, it's a battle, but we want that to be like conducted in a, in a way that we can feel good about. And just for me personally, as a bookmaker, like, I, I have a pretty good idea of what's fair and what's not. And I'm pretty opinionated and like, I don't want to be sitting here, like whether it's me booking it directly or maybe someone else's and it's a sport that I'm, you know, not really controlling a hundred percent. I don't want to take a bet that I think is, is too little. Like, I don't want to be like, I mean, come on, we can give anybody more than this. So it's, also, just a personal thing of like, I want to feel good about the limits that we're offering. No, it's it's a great point. And we mentioned earlier with your respective knowledge in the NFL and Major League Baseball betting markets and those particular sports that you work with the most and how your opinion can play a role in a line moving or a total shifting a little bit. So looking at the NFL, we tend slate, Chris, what's one team that you think or which team do you think is most overvalued or undervalued in respect to the betting market? To preface this, I should probably point out that um, in my adult life, I've made a, a lot of bets on NFL, uh, a, lot of ga- <laughs> a lot of game bets, a lot of like futures bets, a lot of prop bets. I have become more disciplined than ever this year. And really it's because like, I don't have a process where I have like a significant edge when it comes to NFL. So we are right now starting week 10 of the season and I have not bet any sides or totals. And that's just me like complimenting myself on my level of discipline because (laughs) I don't think I necessarily would be uh, winning betting, you know, into these major NFL markets. Uh, But one thing that I've noticed, and especially over the last few weeks now that uh, they've had to plug in, a backup quarterback is the Tennessee Titans. This team seems to not get a ton of respect and I understand why, like they don't have good wide receivers. Their passing attack is probably now like the worst in the NFL in terms of yardage that they're putting up on a weekly basis. Now that the bears all of a sudden have become a dynamic offense. Um, So I think, what you're seeing is like the market is looking at this Titans team and saying, well, they can't score points. Like they got nobody to throw it to. And even if they do, it's Tannehill and now Malik Willis. And, you know, Tannehill, he's had his moments in the NFL where he's been very good. But now you got Malik Willis, who, what was he drafted in like the third round? He dropped, you know, a ton from what his draft position was expected to be. And they're not, you know, giving him the green light to throw the ball. They've played very conservatively uh, in two games with him at quarterback. And so I, I understand like why the market is rating the Titans the way that it is, but they've been an overachiever that game against the Texans. There was a significant line move against the Titans. They covered that opening number. Uh, There was a, a line move against them significant against the chiefs 
they covered that number very comfortably. And now we're looking at week 10 and they're laying like two, two and a half to the Broncos. Like I get it, but it'd be hard for me to, you know, recommend the Broncos just because this Titans team, I really like, like, um, the defense and somehow they're able to still have a good running game, even though teams know that's all they want to do. And I think Vrabel's a really good coach. He got coach of the year last year. You know, he's not getting that respect this year. And there's various teams that are, you know, overachieving their preseason expectations right now. But I don't know that there's many coaches better than Mike Vrabel in the NFL. So I, I feel like the Titans overall are the most underrated team in the NFL market. And go check out my breakdown on the lines.com of why I'm betting the Denver Broncos this week. As Chris mentioned, <laughs> there you how go. He thinks the Titans. I mean, I'm not saying undervalued. you're wrong, but you know, you do have to respect what the Titans have done. I think. No doubt. Point. No doubt. Um, taking a, a shift over into Thursday night football, what's the handle looking like at Circa between Falcons Panthers? Well, as you might expect, Falcons Panthers is not the most exciting game on the NFL <laughs> week slate. Although <laughs> it's gotten a little bit interesting because it looks like we're gonna have some weather in Charlotte tonight. And that could be impacting the passing and the kicking game. So anytime you have an NFL game where there's going to be wind or rain or snow, I think that makes it more interesting. You know, these teams just played two weeks ago. So like we just saw this matchup, but that was um, indoors in Atlanta and ended up being very high scoring, went way over the total. Uh, There were various plays in that game that were a little bit fluky. Um, to get that many points, but uh, the market has come down on the total, so we've seen uh, some action there, and we've you know tried to be a bit aggressive in not getting overloaded on the under money. So we've gotten some pretty good action on the total. It's gone from like 43, 43 and a half, and we're down to 41 and a half now. And I would say that's pretty much all weather driven because not a lot of injury. Uh, things that we need to iron out today with the inactive list. And then maybe coinciding with the weather and total coming down, there's been a little bit of a move on the Panthers. So we saw money yesterday on the Panthers plus three. Um, and that's kind of balanced out what we saw early in the week when the line opened like two on the Falcons. So Kind of feels like one of those games where some people want to lay two and a half, other people want to take three, and the number is like, you know, two and three quarters. So although it's not the most exciting NFL game in the world, you know, in terms of skill position players and the the expectation for the passing games, um, you know, we are seeing a little interest from the the betting public on it. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sports books all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. 
Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. And Chris, looking at the, the futures market, we had Jeff Benson on the podcast prior to week one. We were in Circa recording in uh, one of your hotel rooms, which is a fantastic <laughs> spot to record a podcast, if I do say so myself. And, and Jeff mentioned that you guys took a long shot bet on the Seahawks to win the NFC. And then I think a couple days later from some guy named Spreadopedia on Twitter, he bet Geno Smith to win NFL MVP at 750 to one. So looking at maybe those two in particular and the rest of the liabilities that you guys have in the NFL futures markets, is there any, or are there any that stand out, whether it's those two or another one to you? The Seahawks are interesting. Uh, Most people thought them trading Russell Wilson, that they just weren't going to be very good this year. And even with him the last couple of years, the Seahawks weren't anything special. And, you know, me being the dummy and not knowing anything was like, oh, yeah, you know, Geno Smith has never been good. Russell Wilson is good. Seahawks are, you know, <laughs> trending down. Uh, like, went to pretty long odds on the Seahawks after that trade. And, and also with it, like, becoming apparent that they weren't going to be, like, acquiring any other veteran uh, quarterback like Matt Ryan or, or something like that. And so we had them at pretty long odds before the season started. Uh, maybe as 275 to one for the Super Bowl. And we had taken money before, like the free agency stuff had all shaken out and some after as well. So I do think we have some liability on the Seahawks for both the conference and the Super Bowl. And then, yes, uh, typically not talking about like individual people's bets, but if they're out there on Twitter, you know, advertising it, then, you know, <laughs> I'm not, you know, saying anything I shouldn't be saying because they've already <laughs> told the world. Uh, yeah, we did take a bet on Gino for MVP. And I give a ton of credit to that person for making that bet because who's been a bigger surprise than Gino Smith this year in the NFL? He's been great. Uh, and I'm happy to see it. Like I'm, I'm kind of rooting for him. Like I think this is a great story. And like if we lost on the MVP market because it's Geno Smith, like I wouldn't even be that mad. Like good for you taking a shot on Geno and him playing as well as he's playing. It seems like you know his, his teammates have really rallied behind him. Um, so I would be okay with a Geno Smith MVP and then a, a Seahawks Super Bowl win. Like I would just tip my cap and say <laughs> great job to both that team and the people willing to, to back them in the betting market when they were long odds. But the team we're actually needing to manage the most is the Kansas city chiefs, which you wouldn't think is obvious because their odds have been relatively low, um, you know, throughout the off season and into the season. But, you know, we took a pretty decent-sized bet on the Chiefs before the season started. And we're still, you know, trying to, um, to manage that as best we can. So that's probably 
you know, our, our biggest liability right now in the Super Bowl market. But that just kind of happened as a fluky thing. Like it wasn't, you know, a large number of people making the bet. It wasn't long odds. It's just sometimes, you know, one sports book's going to take a big bet on one team and then they're just going to have liability on that team. So that's where we're at with, you know, the teams that were, you know, obviously the Chiefs have a really good chance. So I, I have to, I'm, I'm aware of this at all times. Like what's our number on the Chiefs? Don't want to be, you know, making that position worse. Uh, trying to get bets on the other teams, but without going to extreme. So it's, it's a real challenge, but, you know, we got a long way to go. It's the NFL, as we saw last week with injuries, Josh Allen gets hurt. And now it's like, okay, well, what are the bills? Are they, are they the best team anymore? How long is Josh Allen out? Things can change after one game. So long way to go still. Definitely. And switching gears over to baseball for our last two questions. You guys had a plus 7,500 prop on either team to throw a no-hitter in the World Series, and the Astros threw a combined no-hitter in Game 4. So can you talk about that result and how it turned out for Circa? Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool that one of our special props that had long odds for the World Series actually actually won. Um, <laughs> and like, I didn't know what kind of action to expect on these props, but a lot of times people like to bet on things that have really long odds, you know, whether they think it's a good bet or they just kind of like the lottery ticket aspect of it. So I wanted to come up with some things that had like longer odds. I didn't want to just put up some World Series props that were going to be minus 110 on both sides because I didn't think they were going to draw any action unless I did a bad job of pricing them. So I intentionally try to come up with some things that I thought were kind of interesting and unique, but also would have long odds. And uh, an important point is on like this no hitter prop, which was 75 to one that either team would do it in any of the games. You could have bet against that. You could have laid one to 125 that there wouldn't be a no hitter. So anybody who looks at like props like this and says, Oh, like, those odds are too low. That's not fair. Come on. Well, you could have bet the other side of this. You could have bet that there wouldn't be one. And nobody did that. Uh, I think I did an okay job pricing it. As it turns out, we didn't take like a ton of action on it. Uh, it'd be fun if, you know, somebody took a shot and really had a nice payout on it, but uh, didn't happen. I think, you know, whatever, was going on with people actually looking at these props and doing any sort of research or handicapping uh, did not lead to the conclusion that it was a, a particularly good bet. And, and that's the other thing, like you can put stuff up, but if people don't have an immediate reaction of like, oh, is this a good bet or not? Sometimes you're putting a burden on the customer if they have to do a lot of math and they have to like do calculations to figure out, oh, this might be a good bet. I don't know. Let me spend some time on it. So this is one of those because it's tricky. It's a prop for the whole series, but the series could be four games or it could be seven games. Like you don't know how many games are going to be played. So that makes it a little bit, you know, maybe less attractive to the average person looking for a bet. But, you know, I, I did a handful of unique props, didn't take up too much time, thought it would be fun. And I just thought it was cool that uh, one of the long shots won. 
Chris, looking ahead to next season for Major League Baseball, relative to the overall betting market as it stands right now, is there one team that you're maybe particularly higher on than the public perception maybe heading into next season? I think what is tricky about the uh, baseball offseason and will be especially tricky this offseason is how aggressive our team's going to be in trying to sign free agents and make trades. And I, I don't always have a really good sense of that right after the World Series ends. Sure. And so I put numbers out there where I basically say, I don't know. Like I, I do know that I'm going to have to move these numbers around a lot before any regular season games get played. So I'm trying to you know, put numbers out there where I'm sort of in between. And you're going to have teams that you think are going to be good right now. And they're going to do, they're going to make moves to get even better. So I know I'm going to be lowering those odds at some point, but I'm comfortable with where they're at now because I, what I don't want is to be really, really long odds on some other team that maybe had a down year this year, or you don't know how aggressive they're going to be in signing free agents. And then someone gets a really good bet at a hundred to one on a team that should be like, 25 to one or less. So I'm really trying to balance that out with the, uh, the futures. Now here's an example of a team that last year made some moves, was really trying to improve and ended up with really bad injury luck and just really bad performances from uh, their healthy players, the Detroit Tigers. And if I say Detroit Tigers, no one's immediately thinking World Series contender because they were so bad last year. Their, their lineup was terrible. But they had like 10 starting pitchers get hurt. It was unbelievable. They had to go down to like their 15th best starting pitcher, and that guy became a regular uh, at the end of the season. Now, they showed last offseason they're willing to spend. And the AL Central was not a very strong division last year. The Guardians won it. And they had made like no effort in the offseason to improve their team. That was entirely from just doing a good job with drafts and, you know, trading away their good veteran players over the last several years uh, to get where they were at. But like based on how it went last year, the AL Central is pretty wide open and maybe a team like the Tigers is going to do something uh, to, you know, go for it and try to win that division. But like right now, I got them at 50 to one and I'm saying, OK, I'm kind of expecting them to make a certain effort. They should have some of these injured players back healthy for next year. But who knows? Maybe they're going to sign Jacob DeGrom or Aaron Judge. And when that news hits and I'm not like seeing it and able to react immediately, then that's going to motivate a bet for people, depending on what the odds are. So I'm, you know. Those are the two biggest names I can think of right now for free agents, and they definitely move the needle for any given team. But there's quite a few other ones out there, and there's going to be a lot of movement. And so those are the situations I'm looking at, like the, the Tigers, uh, a team like the Angels that really you know, underperformed tremendously last year, but they have two superstars in Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Uh, those are the, the things that like, I really try to be careful with with this futures market. 
Chris, thanks so much for taking your time today to chat with us. That is all we have for this Thursday episode of Beat the Closing Line. If you're in Las Vegas and you're trying to make a sports bet, go over to Circus Sports and uh, visit Chris and make make a bet at their book. And Eli and I will see you on Tuesday. Actually, I will not see you on Tuesday. I am going to be in Iceland, but Eli (laughs) and Mo will see you on Tuesday. um, And I will see you guys the week (laughs) after. Thanks so much.